Hey, it's Lauren Dukeman here. In today's episode, Mel Humphreys is sharing the challenges her family faced in living in a remote village in Paraguay. It was encouraging to hear how they persevered through times of fear, loneliness, and extreme isolation, looking to God to sustain them during those challenging times. So welcome to the Compel Podcast, How Ordinary Women Spread the Gospel Story. Lauren here. Joining me today is Melanie Humphreys, whose family recently returned to Canada from Paraguay, where they were church planters among Nivacle people for 10 years. Mel is mom to three young adults, and she also has a doctorate in Christian counseling. Well, thanks so much, Mel, for joining me today. (laughs) Thanks for asking me. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah, I'm excited that you're here. So to start off, Mel, can you just share a little bit about yourself? Sure. I grew up in Wisconsin, racing horses and playing sports. I trusted in Christ as my Savior when I was five years old. I'm very thankful to have had the privilege to grow up in a Christian home. My grandparents, Bruce and Edith Porterfield, were missionaries in Bolivia for 17 years. So I grew up hearing incredible stories of God's faithfulness to them. And my grandpa, of course, also loved to gross us out by telling us about eating grubs in the jungle. (laughs) When I was a teenager and considering what career path I wanted to take, my mom challenged me to take my love for adventure and consider being a missionary. I went on two mission trips after this and felt convinced that the Lord would have me go overseas as a missionary. I went to the Ethnos 360 Bible School in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and met Sean a couple of months later. He was also wanting to be a missionary overseas, and we fell in love and got married. About five years later, we landed in Paraguay, South America, with our daughter, Michaela, and our son, Rylan. What did your ministry among the Nivacale look like? So we moved to the village in 2009 with our three kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, they were nine, seven and a half, and four years old. We were excited to learn the Nimakali language and culture, but we really had no idea what we were in for. I remember when I was going to the village to start getting to know the ladies and learn language. They just didn't understand why I was there and didn't always want to talk to me or even offer me to sit and visit. Um, one time in particular... I was, Sean was picking me up at a place and I was just in tears. I was like, please drive away. I'm going to start crying. (laughs) I knew I had done something wrong culturally and I didn't understand what it was, but it was just so hard those Mm -hmm. first days. Sean and I decided that because of the suspicion that they had of us as a family, we would really focus on doing life alongside the Nivakle for Mm -hmm. several months um, because it was time to harvest sesame. We learned the entire process alongside the Nivakle. It was such a foreign concept to the Nivacle because it was like really white people who hired the Nivacle to do their work. So the fact that we were just going from family to family, helping them and learning the process, they weren't um, paying us. We were just offering to help. They, they almost didn't, couldn't understand it, right? Mm. Once Sean had passed his fa- final language evaluation, he studied grammar for a while longer, and then he started developing Bible lessons in the Nivacle language. It's an extremely hard language, so we just laughed in because he is a very gifted language learner. God had put him there for that season, and it took a long time, many years, to develop the lessons and then um, teach them, but he ended up developing and teaching probably over 75 lessons and then the book of Galatians. Mm. What makes the language so hard compared to others? Um, 
all of the infixes and all of the stuff you can add on, you can just keep adding everything. Mm. And um, so one of our consultants came out one time and she was like, you need to separate everything into like, what's the noun here? What's the verb? And we were like, well, it's all one word and you can just keep adding on to it. And in the beginning days, we, to entertain ourselves, we wrote out this word and added as many things on it that we could. <laughs> and it ended up being longer than the English alphabet, just no that way. one word. Yeah, it was incredible to see God's creativity when he um, made all of the new languages and separated people to various ends of the earth. Over the 10 years that we were there, we saw precious Nivakle friends come to know Christ as their personal savior. I remember when we first arrived, we saw the teacher, the local teacher there, um, speaking, and we were like, wow, he's such a gifted communicator. If the Lord would just save him, imagine what he could do with that. And he was actually the first one to become saved. Really? And um, today he is following on with the teaching and teaching um, Bible studies in the village. And I just look at that and I think, wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. So that's the condensed version. We all love adventure, and we felt like we had been training our whole lives for this. So we were very excited. What we didn't realize was that um, the circumstances and the environment would be would take its toll on us. Mm. Not having electricity um, in a very in an extremely hot environment, and just. We had a generator, and so we could only do laundry at certain hours. Oh, and, man. Um, stuff like that, it gets tiring, right? So the adventure kind of wears off, <laughs> and you have to really remember why you're there. Yeah. So you mentioned only being able to do laundry a certain time and just having sicknesses. What were some of the other struggles of just living in such an isolated and remote place? Um, so <laughs> we also didn't have cell service there. We were supposed to be keeping in contact with the administrator, and by going down to the clinic and doing um, shortwave, ra- shortwave radio, you know, talking back and forth and letting him know that we were safe and we were okay. But a lot of times, just because of the environment, that didn't even work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we couldn't even get a signal and we couldn't even get through, which oh, is we like so weird. Uh, so every week about, we would just take a break as a family and drive about 45 minutes away to where there was cell phone service. And it was this little podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And it had like two gas pumps and this (laughs) tiny little store. And then we would like let everyone know we were fine, send a couple text messages. And I would call my mom because that was the one person I just needed to talk to. And this one time, this is within like the first um, several months we were there. I couldn't connect with her for about three weeks. Oh, wow. And so I hadn't um, had any conversations or anything. And finally, when I my mom answered, I just started bawling my eyes out. Oh, no. <laughs> Standing outside, and there's a bunch of um, ranchers and guys around. There's like no <laughs> ladies around. And I'm walking oh around, God. and I'm just crying. On and my your mom, cell phone? Yes. <laughs> and my mom is like, what's the matter? What happened? And... I was like, no, everything's fine. It's just so good to hear your voice. Aww. Just tell me what's happening at home, and I'll eventually stop crying and talk to you. Oh, man. But the other thing, reality for me in the village was that I couldn't go very far away from our house. Mm. 
by myself. And I love to go and do things. And that was just in the beginning, very suffocating for me. I always had to have somebody with me or um, just be in a short distance away. And um, I found a road behind our house that was like remote enough. And John's like, okay, yeah, you can go exercise and walk down there. But then um, that became possibly a safety issue. So Mm -hmm. I had to even um, move even closer to home. And it was, it was something very hard to get used to. So you couldn't leave the house because of like a a safety thing or is it like a cultural thing or? It was a cultural thing. Yeah. The women just didn't usually travel by themselves. Mm -hmm. At least um, they like, they had to be within sight. So Mm -hmm. within the village where all the houses are, they could see, but they're watching (laughs) because they're reporting what the ladies are doing. And if, for example, um, a guy went somewhere and then a lady went afterwards, everyone was gossiping afterwards about what possibly might've happened. Yeah. That's hard because you want to protect what people think of you as missionaries, right. especially. <laughs> right, we wanted to be we a good would. testimony, right? Yeah. So you guys were in the village for weeks at an end. Um, I'm guessing that means you were homeschooling, or we did your kids, they didn't have internet. Right. Okay. Well, at least for quite a while, we didn't have internet. Yeah. After we got electricity in 2014, then we were able to get internet. They, um, they did, like, books and... CDs and stuff on the computer and everything, mm-hmm. but nothing could, we couldn't rely on the internet for mm-hmm. any of our homeschooling. Did you always see yourself as homeschooling or is it kind of like, oh, it just came with a job and you're just going to learn how to do it? <laughs> um, I guess because our kids were so little when we first moved to the field of Paraguay that um, I just knew that that was what I was going to do. And I was fine with that. That was, that was great. I, at first, before you get into it, you think it's going to be a fun adventure. Mm-hmm. And we did. We had so many fun times and made so many memories and bonds. And um, But there was still a lot of tears. And one thing I didn't expect, because I never lived in that situation before, was all of the interruptions we would face in the village. Mm-hmm. And so um, one day, and we had to have the windows open and stuff because it was so hot inside. So we were doing school at the kitchen table and my kids are trying really hard to concentrate. Meanwhile, just on the other side of the table are large windows with about 10 Nivakle kids peering in. <laughs> and then they start knocking on the glass and they're like, Rylan, Rylan, we want a candy. Give us a candy. <laughs> and so that and the constant interruptions of um, other things and stuff of people coming to our house, it made it really hard for them some mm-hmm. days. Was it hard having younger kids and older kids to homeschool or was it, did they all sit and just do their work? Um, it was hard at the beginning because Seth was a toddler and, and he wasn't in school when we first moved to the tribe. Um, and so keeping him occupied and busy and then helping Michaela and Rylan with math and English and keeping stuff going. And it did, it did feel very overwhelming at times and, just you know we all have like that special mom guilt that we have Mm. like are we doing enough or not enough or too much and so I definitely struggled with that because I was also wanting to really learn the culture and language and spend enough time doing that and so just juggling everything and balancing everything that was definitely a challenge yeah for sure because language and learning is a lot of work too (laughs) to put the hours in and sit down and listen uninterrupted too (laughs) yes my brain hurts some days and I was like I don't know how I can fit any more anything else into it right yeah 
how are you able to get through homeschooling and learning a language on the side? Well, I think the biggest thing just besides praying and walking in the spirit is um, just having reasonable expectations for ourselves. And then also balancing the mundane tasks and everything with fun things. Mm -hmm. So we would take breaks and we made rainy days our game days and the kids have great memories of that. And I mean, there were days that we did, we powered through and we got our work done and then we went to the village or studied language. Um, But just realizing that it's hard for them and we can cut ourselves some slack. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I think it's really cool that you were able to just work with your kids in do language study. Like you were able to kind of do both at the same time. Um, were your kids, did they ever get sick days? Like did they ever get any illnesses or were there crazy illnesses? Were they sick for weeks or no? Oh yeah. So we, moving to like a new environment, our immune system wasn't used to whatever the local bunks were. So we got some crazy sicknesses the first um, couple of years that we were there. Sean actually got the H1N1 flu. No way. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? At that time, we didn't have internet. So I couldn't Google, like, what am I supposed to do? Or what what does he need? I felt kind of overwhelmed with the responsibility of, I wasn't a doctor. So how did I know when to take him in to Mm -hmm. the hospital and keep checking on him? And um, at that time also... We had to go to the nearby town that was 45 minutes away to get our propane tanks filled and to get gas in the truck. And it was time to do that. And we were out and he was laying flat in bed, sick as a dog. And I was like, okay, I don't, I've never done this myself. How am I supposed to do this? So from bed, he was ex- telling me exactly what to do and how to do it. And I had to go and do it. And that was just, you know, part of the part of life and part of dealing with the circumstances that came. Another time he got double pneumonia and that was pretty scary. We mm. went to the hospital, was was about three hours away at that time. And we drove in and um, he went into the emergency room and the doctor was like, this is really serious, you have to rest and gave him some strong antibiotics. So we stayed in town for a little while, and when he was feeling slightly better, he was like, "Oh, hey, we can go back out to the tribe now. I'm, you know, past the, past the point of like not being able to do anything, and it'll just take some time." And so we went back out to the tribe, and wouldn't you know, a little while later, I don't know if it was days, it's all a blur, but Seth started to get sick, and he was still pretty little at that time, and so I was listening. It was like a certain cough that pneumonia has. And he, he spiked a fever and he got the mm-hmm. cough in one day. And I was like, we have to take him back in. So we took him and it ended up that we had to stay in town and go to the emergency room for, uh, I think it was seven to 10 days for him to have nebulizing treatments. Wow. And I remember just sitting beside his bed, afraid to go to sleep because I, I was afraid he was going to die in his sleep mm-hmm. because he couldn't hardly breathe. And so... Um, my sister-in-law has a doctor at that time she was studying and I was like, what do I do? And she's like, prop up his bed, do this and do this. And it was so helpful. Mm. Wow, it's so scary just to be, yeah, just not knowing anything or just, I hear you rely so much on the medical care from doctors that are just a phone call away and just there. That's really scary. Yeah, it was. And it was, it was exhausting. You know, um, when someone has an illness for weeks and you're the sole caregiver and then multiple people in the family are sick, um, it is. It's very tiring. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking at that time? Like, 
you mentioned you were afraid to go to sleep because you thought he would die. Like, so what were your thoughts or prayers with God? How did you walk through that time? I did. I just, uh, I was exhausted. I knew that if I was going to stay well and take care of everyone, I needed to just go to sleep. But I did. I just prayed that the Lord would protect him and us and just try to do as much as I could. And then, but it was hard. It was Mm -hmm. hard to just let go of that control, really, that we want to keep our family safe. And at some point, you know, we have to just trust the Lord in that. And yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we forget, like, missionaries out in the remote village they get sick too like, and it's just the realities are different for them i think it's just a reminder for me just to keep praying for our missionaries overseas and because it is like they've made this choice to go into such a remote place and bring their kids with them and just the fears you have normal here with your kids like well they have those too it's just the environment's different but yeah it's crazy okay so you guys were in the village for a month or so at a time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, where did you guys get your supplies? Did you drive out and get, pick them up or how, what did that look like? Yes. Usually we would stay in the tribe for about a month. Um, we really wanted to have concentrated time where we would learn and learn language and study the culture. And we would drive to town. The roads in the area were all dirt roads. And we would drive to the supply town, which was about three hours away um right before we left we could usually do it in about two and a half the roads got um a little better but if there was any rain that was that meant you just didn't know how long the trip was going to take we usually had to take meals with us and lots of snacks one time we were stuck in the road for a couple hours while sean dug us out in a tractor had to come and like pull us out and um so we just never knew if the if the roads were bad or if there was an unexpected storm that came up, how long it would take. But yes, we would go into town and buy our groceries and we often had to shop at different stores to uh, get all of the things that we wanted. And then sometimes that <laughs> there were, it was a totally out. They didn't have them. <laughs> or if you saw it, then you better buy whatever they yes, had yeah. because you never knew when it was coming back. That's all right. That's the same for us where we were because... Whenever coconut oil, this brand coconut oil came on our island, imported, then I would buy as much as I could afford. Because <laughs> then you would go like six months without having any. And well, that's something I use every day or I'm trying to think of other ones that like tomato paste and that kind of thing, like plain tomato paste, not with sardines or anything, just plain. <laughs> exactly. Staples that you think like, of course I need this. Oh yeah. American peanut butter. We were like, oh, oh let's yeah. buy a whole bunch of it up or... Um, even just um, syrup for pancakes and mm-hmm. stuff so I didn't have to make it from scratch. Like hurry up and buy a few bottles of it, whatever there was. Yeah. So it must have been really hard. Like you mentioned just not getting a hold of your mom for three weeks. Because I think in our North American context, you know, I can, if I just feel like, oh man, I, I just need to talk to another adult or call my mom, like I can go to their house and they can watch the kids and just give me a break or they, they can interact with the kids. Um, but did you ever feel overwhelmed either just with just loneliness or just not getting a break from your kids? Oh, yes. Um, because there wasn't anywhere to go and oftentimes there wasn't anyone that could help. And so Sean and I worked out, um, like we just kind of tried to balance stuff. And my, the thing that saved my sanity was being able to go on walks. Mm. So the longer we were there, um, the more used to us they became, and I could go for 
uh, I could walk about a mile away from our house, but it was um, open and it was in plain sight. Mm. And they became used to me doing that. And so just being able to get away and uh, hear myself think and be able to pray to the Lord about all, all my <laughs> problems. And uh, Jesus just became my best friend because there wasn't anyone else. There was just us. And uh, I just learned to really talk to him about everything and tell him about my feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was also a neat experience, you know. So what did you guys do for dates? Like, how did you, you can't find a babysitter, you can't go to like a restaurant. Did you do anything or you just, how did you maintain a marriage in such isolation? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was also a challenge um, because we're at home and the kids are there all of the time. We, um, there is a national drink in Paraguay called Ntede Day mm-hmm. and basically it's green tea. And so we would have time where we would sit outside together just by ourselves on the porch and catch up and talk and yeah, just have fun. And we also, um, as the kids got a little bit older, we were able to go for like a ride on the dirt bike, just really close mm-hmm. to house, but <laughs> at least we were able to just kind of get away. And sometimes we would go honey hunting. The kids usually wanted to go along, but sometimes we could, you know, get away just real close to the house mm-hmm. and talk or go for a walk and uh, we had to be pretty creative so sometimes we'd have like date nights in our room mm-hmm. and food and just like watch a movie or something like that and just try to maintain that maintain that communication and um yeah romance so it's hard you yeah. know tribe what could like if you were getting a care package from a church in north america like what could they send for date items, like you mentioned foods, like prepackaged meals or like a new game or what would be something cool to receive? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely games. We loved that. That was um, we had people send us games. and That was a lot of fun. And special foods are always amazing. We always felt like it was Christmas when someone would send us a package yeah. and the kids are jumping up and down. We're all like, what did we get? <laughs> and my mom was amazing with that. I don't know how many hundreds of dollars she spent sending us packages but it it just like boosted our emotional health right it Mm -hmm. was so encouraging to us and to know that someone took the time to um get all of those items and put them in a package and spend the money to send them yeah yeah that's really sweet so moving on to kind of more talking about fear um you shared a little bit about like the fear of your kids and stuff but fear can also become really unhealthy in a sense of like it can how can it affect your ministry or your life? Like, did you notice that at all when you were there? Oh yeah. Um, fear can be paralyzing and we can always, um, think about the what ifs or we have people write us and say, well, are your kids safe? There's so many snakes there or there's this or this illness. And you just, you just can't spend too much time thinking or worrying about them. We spent a lot of time praying and learning how to trust the Lord with our kids and, I'm speaking from the experience of having accident-prone kids and, <laughs> and many illnesses in the family. And, you know, uh, one time we went to the ER, I forget for what this time, but it was one of the kids and the administrator that was, like, taking our name. She was like, oh, Humphreys, yeah, I have your file right here. You guys what? are well-known. <laughs> oh. And so just, yeah, there are times where I just was afraid for what would happen and knowing that the Lord loved my kids more than I did Mm. was a comfort to me 
and knowing that he was there walking through everything with us. Because if you spend too much time thinking about it, you just, you become afraid of everything. And I'm also not speaking from the experience of having PTSD, which I had after a bad accident there. And it was, it was paralyzing and walking through that with the Lord and growing in that I just became a lot more empathetic to people that are anxious and fearful and the steps it takes to get out of that. Yeah, because it's probably hard to stop your thinking, like to get out of that cycle of fear. Like it takes, I don't know, like how did you get your mind back on truth? It took a bit of time. Just sometimes, you know, you think about something and then you have feelings about it and then you have actions. But sometimes I would be in the action phase of it before I would realize wait a second, what am I thinking? So an example of this would be after the accident when I was still kind of paralyzed by fear, my kids had left on the four-wheeler to go somewhere. Mm. And all of a sudden, um, just getting that feeling like something was wrong, I needed to go and find them. Oh, they might be dead. Mm. And it was just so extreme, but that was, and before I realized what I was doing, I was walking, already walking down the road um, to find them. And realizing, okay, I need help. How do I get the help I need for this? And walking through that with the Lord. And I did a study on um, fear and writing down verses. And that was such a comfort to me. And then just slowly taking it to him and trusting him all over again in a new way for for the lives of my kids and for Sean as he is like traveling back and forth and going places. And that had a new fear for me that that something would happen yep yeah so kind of along with that were you guys able to do like there's this phrase called self-care um i think it's pretty well known by now but how were you guys able to do self-care in your the kind of like confines of your home i mean you talked about walking but and just having trying to do special things for dates but as a family what were you guys able to do so for michaela and i as she got a little bit older we had a lot of fun with this actually we would do pedicures together. We'd sit outside <laughs> in the sun and listen to music, um, sometimes like do face masks or hair stuff. Um, and then we would do, the boys had their own things that they would like to do, PlayStation games and stuff like that. And we weren't really interested in that. Mm-hmm. So we would get together and watch like romantic comedies and just bonding in that time. And that was fun because we're just as girls, like it it was such a rough environment and it was like a boy's Mm -hmm. world. So we did that stuff. Um, Also, we would go for bike rides. And like I said before, like I couldn't go places by myself. So this really bonded me with my kids because I was usually like, okay, who's going with me? And we would think of fun and creative things to do and go off in the woods or go on an adventure or something in just getting away from your house a lot of times is a big um, relief and um, emotionally, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not available, just getting that break. Yeah. And then a while into our time there, I um, just had the desire to get to do something for myself. I don't do a lot of crafts or anything like that. And so I decided to pursue a degree in Christian counseling. Mm-hmm. And that was something I did in my free time. And when I wasn't doing language study or whatever, when I would normally be doing um, just some a hobby or something, that became my hobby. Mm-hmm. 
That's cool because I bet it's kind of dual purpose. Like it's a hobby, but I bet it also was super encouraging to you. Oh, yes. It was very encouraging to me. And a lot of times the classes, they would be dealing with something that I was struggling with. And so it wasn't necessarily just about other helping other people, but it did help me and our own family too. Yeah, it's cool. Like you're equipping yourself to do well and get through difficult times. So really helpful hearing like what life was like in the tribe for you guys and just isolation, um, major isolation and just how you guys got through the difficult times of loneliness or homeschooling or worry or all that. Um, Is there anything else that was really difficult about being in the tribe? One of the most difficult things that we faced was the funerals there. Mm. Funerals there are very raw and emotional when the first funeral that we attended um, we didn't know what to expect so we were sitting in the church building and people came in and they were wailing Mm -hmm. and we just didn't know like okay what's coming and people tried to throw themselves in the grave when they were lowering the casket in there Wow! Um, family members were just falling on the ground and um it was just so traumatic and we were trying to protect our kids from that too because it was while it was good for them to observe some of it and realize we also didn't want to traumatize them because they would open the caskets of Mm. people that had been dead for days so people could walk past and pay their respects to them um the absolute hardest one was when michaela's best friend in the village died tragically and we had to sit down and tell her that it was probably her friend and we were going to find out. Oh, wow. And she went with me to my friend's house who it was her daughter that had died and everyone was sitting around crying and just um, trying to be culturally sensitive, but also to be a light in that circumstance because their culture was also very harsh in some ways. Um, the chief told them after a couple of days, you need to be done crying now mm. and you need to move on. And during that time, we were able to just be a blessing, take meals. That wasn't something that had, you know, that was really a cultural thing, but I felt like it was a God thing to do. Mm. And we offered to help them. And okay, I'm trying not to cry here, but oh. <laughs> the day and, um, when they were saying goodbye to us as we left the village, they just hugged us and they were like, we're never going to forget how much you helped us and how you treated us when our daughter died. But walking through that with them and walking through that with your kids, it was definitely one of the hardest parts because there are people that you knew hadn't accepted Christ as their savior. And so you knew that that was, they were spending an eternity without Christ. And it was always a reminder of why we were there and through all the hard circumstances and um, the illnesses and the craziness of life there, what the purpose was. Right. It was an eternal purpose. And so, yes, that would be definitely by oh, far yeah. the hardest thing. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, just even just dealing that with yourself, but having to walk your kids through that just seems crazy. But I'd like how you, you said, like, it's just reminding you why you're there. And I think it also reminds us, like, the hope that we have in Christ is that we do have a hope in whether whether you're he's asked you to be a missionary overseas like he can sustain you through that and even here and during hard times we do have jesus who can comfort us and all that so that's important i think what you said just remind us of truth and yeah just who god is that's right and it really does help with our fear because 
our hope is eternal and um, we want to share that hope with others and it helps you be a little less selfish too I think in some ways you know Mm. as we reach out and look for opportunities to help others even when it's hard or it's sacrificial yeah in a way what the Lord has walked you through has has equipped you to comfort your friends during difficult times too that's really neat how just seeing how the Lord has brought you through some really hard times on the tribe and you you guys were there for like a specific purpose but that I feel like maybe that time has also he used to strengthen you guys and help you guys grow and now that you're back here have you seen it in that sense like equip you for ministry here at all yes I think so and I look forward to how the Lord is going to use us in the future it's always easier to relate to people who um, have experienced something already themselves or something similar. And so I have such a heart for the missionaries coming back from the field and whatever they've gone through or are going through. And then even um, missionaries here who have already lived overseas or others and those that are struggling with hard times because you, <laughs> Satan has a way of like attacking us in, as missionary families, right? So um, some of my favorite verses are in Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'll just read those. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he is no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I don't think that I can really add anything to that, but I can say that those verses, when I was struggling, whether it was with um, hard trials or circumstances in our lives or people or anything, um, that just really brings it back around and puts it into perspective. Yeah, it does. Thank you for reading those, because I think those verses are just so relevant through all that you've talked about and shared. And for people on the field, or just people trying to figure out, well, how can I pray for missionaries and encourage them through hard times or even just going through hard times yourself? It is, yeah, we do have to keep a perspective, a God-centered perspective. So thank you for sharing that. Yep. Well, thanks so much, Mel, for coming to share today just a little bit about what you guys went through in the field and just how God brought you through all that. Thanks for the opportunity to come. It's been a pleasure. you were encouraged to hear Mel's personal story. She shared some great biblical truths and practical tips that are probably relevant to us in the midst of this pandemic. We hope that her story reveals ways that we can be praying for missionaries around the world. 
If you would like to read recent prayer requests for our missionaries or subscribe to weekly prayer emails, go to ethnos.ca slash pray. Thanks for listening.